Section 11, Chapters 21 and 22 of The Corner House. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Corner House by Fred M. White. Chapter 21 Peril. One quick gasp, a deadly pallor of the face ghastly behind the artificial coloring, and the woman was herself again. She led the way to a secluded seat where they could talk without the chance of being overheard. "'Now tell me about it, Louis,' she said. "'Madame, there is but little to tell. You are indebted to that Paris firm for nearly a hundred thousand pounds. They call themselves financial agents, but they are money-lenders of the hardest type.' Maitrenk is as hard as your diamonds, and he has found you out, Countess. Found me out? Why, only yesterday I had a letter from him consenting to a further advance on the property at San Salvatore. And after all is said and done, there is a property at San Salvatore. On that I have borrowed nearly half a million from first to last. I ought to know, for it was I who added those fresh papers to the original deeds and forged the reports of the prosperity of the mine. Maitrank seemed quite satisfied till yesterday. Then he made a great discovery. It was an unfortunate discovery and a cruel piece of luck for you. Go on, man, I am all impatience. I am coming to the point fast enough. You know Lefebvre of Lyon? Of course. Did we not raise money on the San Salvatore property from him also? That was nearly a hundred thousand pounds. "'Quite so,' Louis Balmain said coolly, "'for I also manipulated those papers. "'The romance of the mine and the way it came into your possession "'fascinated Lefebvre. "'He lent you money at a great rate of interest, but he lent it. "'On him comes the misfortune. "'Lefebvre has been speculating and burnt his fingers badly. "'He wanted money badly. "'He comes to Paris to borrow it from Maitrank.' The countess smote her fan on her gloves passionately. "'You need not tell me any more,' she whispered hoarsely. "'He offered the San Salvatore as security to Maitrank, and the murder is out.' "'Precisely, but not quite in the way you imagine. Directly Maitrank saw those deeds he knew exactly what had happened, but that wonderful man did not betray himself. His confidential secretary told me that he never turned a hair.' He simply regretted that he had no spare capital. He got a warrant for your arrest, and he will be in London tomorrow morning. Ah, if only I could lay my hands on a good sum, Louis, then I might induce Maitrank to wait. For the sake of his own pocket he would keep the secret. He will do nothing so long as he can recover part of his own property. "'You are a wonderful woman,' Balmain said admiringly. "'You have guessed it. "'As to the money, it is to your hand. "'The coast is clear now. "'The encumbrance is out of the way. "'You have only to act at once.' "'And where is the money you speak so casually about?' "'The means of safety, madame, "'seem to me to dangle at the end of a rope.' "'The woman's eyes gave a flash of triumph.' "'Ah!' she exclaimed, "'I had forgotten that. "'In the press of other things it had been swept out of my mind. "'A professional acrobat like yourself should make light of a task like that. "'The way is all clear for the experiment. "'But when? "'What better time could we have than to-night?' "'To-night, 
Impossible. There are matters to be got ready. My absence at this hour would attract attention. If only I could be in two places at once. So you can, Balmain said coolly. I have taken the liberty to borrow the only machine in London that permits you to do that seemingly impossible feat. Put that long cloak over your dress and come with me. It is not your cloak, but it does not matter. I pledge my word that you shall be back here at the end of an hour, long before the performance is over. Come. There was no further hesitation. This was an adventure after the woman's own heart. With the purloined cloak covering her from head to foot, she passed down the steps and into the roadway. Nobody noticed her, for the spectacle was not a very uncommon one. Under the shadow of the portico a little way off stood a motor, watched by a nightbird who would have done anything for a few coppers. "'I like this,' Leona Lalage exclaimed. "'It braces the nerves. If those people in New York only do as they promise, I shall be free yet. A little courage, and I shall pluck safety from the corner house yet.' The motor passed along swiftly in the darkness. Inside the opera house many people noticed that Countess Lalage's box was only tenanted through the second act of the new opera by a very pretty girl in white with no ornaments in her hair. Hetty, on the other hand, noticed nothing at all but the stage. She had actually forgotten that her employer was not there. The opera was a rare treat to her, and she reveled in music. There was a veritable scene of triumph at the end of the third act, and whilst the curtain was raised for the second time, Countess Lalage and her companion returned. They strolled into the box with the calm air of people quite accustomed to this sort of thing. They might have been merely flirting outside. Twelve o'clock, Balmain whispered, not a minute later. On this occasion the longest way round will be the shortest way home. The applause was gradually dying down. Hetty, conscious of a figure behind her, moved back. The box door shut and the air grew oppressive. Leona Lalage, still talking earnestly to her companion, motioned Hetty to open it. She did so just as a telegraph boy came along with one of the orange-colored envelopes in his hand. He looked at the address and at the number of the box. "'Box 11A, Grand Tier,' he suggested. "'Miss Lawrence?' "'For me,' Hetty replied. "'What a strange thing!' The boy passed on, whistling under his breath. Outside, Hetty opened her message. Her fingers trembled slightly. "'On no account let Countess leave house before midnight,' it ran. "'When she gets home, keep her there till after twelve at all costs.'" End of chapter 21 CHAPTER Twenty Two FOR LOVE AND DUTY Hetty gazed at the strange unsigned message with the feeling that she was being made the victim of some foolish joke. But who would play her a silly prank like that? Perhaps Gordon had had something to do with it. At any rate, she must act. If it turned out to be a hoax, she could apologize afterwards. But on the other hand, it might be a matter of life and death. It might affect her lover's honor. It was a good thing that Hetty had been fortunate to handle the telegram where she could be secluded from the sharp eyes of her employer. Otherwise she would assuredly have betrayed herself. She tore the telegram into tiny fragments and pushed them under the edge of one of the mats. It was far better to be cautious. 
She had herself well in hand when she stepped back into the box again. At any hazard she was going to carry out the instructions to the very letter, and she had a fairly good excuse ready to her hand. If Mamie was no better when she got home, she would use that as a lever. The performance came to an end at length. The dapper, smiling little Balmain handed them both into the carriage, and then went off smoking a cigarette like any honest gentleman whose conscience is at peace. Once home, Hetty flew up to her little patient. She seemed to be restless and disturbed. "'Dr. Bruce has been,' Miss Nurse remarked. "'He says Miss Mamie is not to be left alone. The Countess was to be told that.' Hetty was deeply interested. Was this another mere coincidence, or was Bruce acting here like a puppet in the hands of the mysterious person who seemed to be pulling the strings in the drama? Anyway, it strengthened her hands. There was a light supper in the dining-room. Countess Lalage talked fitfully, from time to time glancing at the clock. The gilt hands were striding on towards a quarter to twelve. "'I'm going to make a late call,' Leona Lalage said suddenly. "'I should like you to see Mamie first, said Hetty. She spoke coolly enough, but her heart was beating furiously. She is not at all well to-night. Dr. Bruce has been here and says she is not to be left alone. A mother's care—' The Countess laughed lightly. Her mood seemed friendly. "'Very well,' she said. "'I'll come up for a moment.' I'm not going far, and I shall not be a long time away, if there is a crisis in the case. Mamie is far worse than you imagine, Hetty said coldly. Your own constitution is so magnificent that you cannot understand weakness in others. If Mamie were mine, I should be in grave anxiety about her. Leona Lalage laughed again. Once more she glanced at the clock. Come along, then, she said gaily. I know I am a bad mother." The child looked flushed and ill, her hand was hot, and she groaned in her sleep. The countess bent and kissed her carelessly. She moved to her own room, and Hetty followed. There was just a touch of hauteur in the manner of the countess as she intimated that she had nothing further to say. "'Perhaps I have something to say to you,' Hetty said between her teeth. The hour had come to show her pluck and courage, and Hetty was not going to flinch. It wanted ten minutes to twelve by the clock on the dressing-table. "'You are forgetting yourself,' the Countess said coldly. "'Leave the room.' "'When I have finished,' Hetty replied. "'You heard Dr. Bruce's message. He said that child should not be left. You may urge that I am sufficient, but there is a time for a mother's care. If I had my way, you should not go.' It all sounded sorry nonsense in Hetty's ears, but she was playing her part and merely talking against the clock. With blazing eyes the countess advanced, but Hetty did not flinch. "'Stand aside,' she said furiously, "'and let me pass. If it was not for the child and the love she has for you, I should dismiss you on the spot. Now go!' "'I shall not go,' Hetty cried. She was surprised at the ease with which she was working herself up into a genuine passion. "'Nor shall you pass. You shall stay here as long as I please. Ring the bell and have me put out.' Sheer astonishment got the better of Leona Lalage's rage. That Hetty, above all people, should turn upon her like this was amazing. She looked again at the clock, which pointed to four minutes to twelve. "'You are disturbed and hysterical to-night,' she said. "'Go and lie down. 
I am a strong woman, and if you provoke me too far— "'You shall not go,' Hetty gasped. "'I say you shall not go. "'Nothing less than physical power will induce me to yield.' The anger of the other woman blazed out again magnificently. At the back of her mind was a haunting fear that Hetty was acting a part. It was absolutely imperative that she should leave the house at once. How if Hetty had discovered this and was taking this course to prevent her keeping her appointment? The mere suggestion added flame to her anger. She caught Hetty by the arm and dragged her from the door. There was a crash and a tear as the dress sleeve parted, the quick rattle of a key in the lock, and a defiant smile from Hetty. "'I may be mad,' she gasped, "'but there is method in it. I may not—' A deadly faintness came over her. She staggered to a chair and fell into it. As she did so, the great clock on the landing boomed the hour of midnight. Nothing mattered now. The thing was done, the victory accomplished. In a vague kind of way, Hetty heard the cry of rage and disappointment uttered by her companion. She felt the key snatched with cruel force from her hand. There was a whirl of draperies and footsteps flying down the stairs. Hetty dragged herself to her feet. She was utterly exhausted with her fight, but there was the fierce triumph of knowing that she had won. She had played her part, and the rest of it was in cleverer hands than her own. Meanwhile the Countess was tugging with impatient fingers at the hasp of the drawing-room windows. There was murder in her heart. "'The little Jezebel,' she muttered. "'Was it madness, or what?' "'At last!' The window flew open and she raced down the garden like a hare. End of chapter 22 End of section 11